Welcome to the Church for All Nations podcast, streaming live from Tacoma, Washington. We're so excited you joined us today. We hope you're encouraged by this week's message. Hey friends, Pastor Ashley here. I'm so grateful that you decided to be a part of this 11 a.m. worship service at Church for All Nations virtually around the world. I saw some amazing individuals from my hometown in Lincolnton, Georgia logging on. I saw Mackenzie. I see you. I went to church camp with her. I see so many of our incredible congregants here in Tacoma logging on. Man, I'm so, so so grateful that you decided to join us for the start of this brand new series. I am so excited about this one because we're going to be hitting some amazing topics that I am jazzed to preach and teach on. But today we are really diving in deep into the word to find out what the Bible says about dot, 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 right? Sickness today. We're going to talk about sickness and healing. And really, this entire series came out of all of the questions that we as pastors and leaders were getting kind of bombarded with. And it wasn't just from congregants. It was from our kids, too. And if if you're a parent at home, maybe you understand uh, the struggle, right? We have Israel, who is eight years old. And if she's watching, hi, baby. And Fulton, who's five. Hey, buddy. We'll be home in just a little bit. But We're excited uh, to even teach them in this season with all the questions that they have, right? So I remember Izzy, when she first heard the word pandemic, like that's not a word that we really used until this year, right? And so I remember her asking, uh, mom, pandemic, is that like the habitat at the zoo where the pandas live? And I thought, oh, well, no, but, but that's a great guess. That's a great guess. And then when the word corona came about, I mean, again, not, not one that you use every day all the time. And so I remember uh, they were asking, uh, is that the song that dad always sings? My corona. No, no, baby, it's not, it's not that. Uh, and then uh, let's see, Fulton wanted to know if quarantine was Spanish for 14. I really liked that one. I thought that was pretty genius. And then, uh, you know, there's always the, the question that maybe children have uh, that, Mom, what is a Tiger King? Uh, we'll leave you to that one. But... <laughs> So many questions in this season, and so many specifically about sickness that we're going to broach today. And I want you to know that what we're talking about today, the answers that we're giving, the reason we named this series what we did is because we're not talking about Pastor JF or Pastor Ashley's answers about these subjects. We're not talking about our opinions or our thoughts on these subjects. We're asking and answering, what does the Bible say about all of these things? And so today, as we talk about sickness and healing, we're going to look at scripture and there's going to be so much scripture. So I want to invite you, grab a notepad. Maybe you can take notes on your phone, jot these down, allow the Holy Spirit to really, really speak to you and equip you. I believe the Lord is equipping the church today for something so unique and we're diving deeper. It's beyond encouragement, friends. We're equipping because he's going to take us into a new season. I truly believe that. And before we jump into this subject, it's so important 
so incredibly important that we understand that we're all coming at this subject from so many different angles, but so many of us have had the experience of having a loved one, amazing men and women of God who had incredible faith, incredible substance, passion for the Lord, and yet we saw them die of sickness. And that is so unbelievably confusing, especially when we understand that God is our healer. And so to answer that, why people still die of sickness when God is our healer, I'm going to give you the most theological answer I can right now. And that is, I don't know. I don't understand it, friends. I don't understand all of it. But you know what I do know and what I'm confident in? Isaiah 55 reminds us over and over. Scripture says, but in Isaiah, that his ways, meaning God, the God of the universe, his ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts, meaning he sees the bigger picture where we see little bitty small elements. His, his view is so much larger. I love how 1 Corinthians says it. In chapter 13, starting in verse 12, Scripture says, For now we see, meaning now here on earth, we see in a mirror dimly. It's like, it's like a super dirty mirror that's, that's all, you know, covered and smudged. And we, we don't see clearly, friends. We can't see everything that God is doing. But then, meaning when we're face to face with the Lord, we'll see clearly. Now I know in part, meaning we only see that tiny little bit, but then I will know fully. I'll know all of it just as I am known, meaning just as the Lord knows and sees. One of my mentors said it to me like this. He said, you know, so many people talk about what it's going to sound like when they walk through the gates of heaven when they see Jesus face to face, what the sounds will be. Maybe it's the hallelujah chorus, you know, in all of its glory, rejoicing before the Lord. And he said, you know what? I got an opinion. I, I, I don't think it's going to sound like that. I think it's going to sound like, oh, oh, that's why you did it, Lord. Okay, that makes sense now. Why? Because right now we only see a tiny little portion but then when we see him face to face, it will all make sense. And friends, I got to tell you, I'm okay with that. I'm okay with serving a God that is so much bigger than what I can understand in my finite mind. If I could understand all the facets of God and who he is and how he operates, I got to tell you, I think that he might be a little too small for me to give my life to and serve the entirety of my being. And so I just want to encourage you. Today, as we're jumping in, understand that we see dimly. We only see small parts in this life right now. But when we see him face to face, we'll understand the fullness of it. But scripture is also very clear that God is our healer. That just as he offers forgiveness and salvation, he offers healing to us fully. Look at Psalm 103. Starting in verse 2, scripture says, Praise the Lord, my soul, and Forget not his benefits, meaning don't forget everything that he's giving you. 
Don't forget everything that he's providing. Verse 3, he forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases. Friends, God is still in the healing business. He is still our healer. And it's not just something I preach about. It is something we have seen in our family. It's something we've seen in our house, in our family. We talk about it all the time. But the miraculous, amazing, amazing healing of our little brother Graham, Pastor JF's little brother, died on the way, literally died on the way to Mary Bridge Hospital here in Tacoma, Washington, when he was just a baby. And the doctors explained when they tried to bring him back to life, they said, you know, if, if he comes back, he will not have any brain function. This is not, he'll be a vegetable the rest of his life. Not only did God bring him back, but Graham is an incredibly functioning adult with so much capacity. In fact, on his files, his medical files at Mary Bridge right now in Sharpie, it says miracle. It's the only explanation. In our very own household, my daughter Israel, she's eight now, about a year and a half ago, I think it was a year and a half, she caught a virus that was not even identified. And you know how scary that can be, especially now. But this virus ended up causing her skin to mutate in these bizarre hives that were lifted and raised and they were from the top of her head to the bottom of her feet and we could watch these things morph and they were incredibly painful for our little girl and they covered her and pastor jf and myself we we sought the lord we cried out to him for two full days the doctors didn't know how to treat her we took her to doctor after doctor. We took her to the hospital, saw specialists. They didn't know how to treat her or what it was. And we brought her home and prayed for two days solid. And the next morning, she jumped up overnight. God healed her, screaming, Mommy, Mommy, it's gone, it's gone. We've seen in our own church so many healings take place. Even this last women's Bible study, a precious woman that came to me and said, my, my circle, meaning the, the small group within Bible study, she said, our circle has been praying for my daughter who has epilepsy. And I got to tell you that in the six weeks we've been praying, we just left the doctor. They took her off of all of the seizure medications because they can't find any trace. Friends, our God is a healer. He is a healer today, but we still, I know, have so many questions. We have so many questions about this area of healing. So today I want to broach three of the most difficult questions that we've been given as pastors, questions that have been brought to us that we've really had to seek the Lord on how to answer, and we're going to answer those today in Scripture. If you're taking notes, the very first question we're going to dive into is why does God allow sickness? That's a good one, right? Why does God allow sickness? Well, friends, before we can answer that question, I think we have to understand first where sickness came from in the beginning. And for that, let's look at Romans 5. Romans 5, starting in chapter, or starting in verse 12, says, When Adam sinned, Adam being the first man, when Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death. 
So death spread to everyone, for everyone sinned. Verse 15. For the sin of this one man, Adam, brought death to many, but even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of forgiveness to many through this other man, Jesus Christ. Sickness and death exist because of sin. And sin entered because of free will. Now, I know you're what you're thinking already. Uh, Pastor Ashley, uh, yeah, but, you know, the sovereignty of God. And sometimes that can be a churchy word, so I want to define it for you. When we say sovereignty, what we really mean, and here's the definition, we mean supreme power or authority. So when we're talking about God being sovereign, some people exchange that for God in control. But I want to articulate it because it's a little bit different. When we say God is sovereign, we mean that he is in supreme power and authority. And this sovereign God has given free will to us as people. Now, that is a very complex thought and idea. So I'm going to explain it to you the best way that I feel like it's ever been explained to me. And I don't know if you're like Pastor JF and myself, we really miss sports. Anyone? Like, the things that they're talking about on ESPN right now is just disheartening. We really, really miss sports. And so today I want to articulate my understanding of sovereignty and God being in control by using basketball. Anybody miss the Sonics? I just really miss having an NBA team to cheer for, right? But everybody's in our boat now. So the Sonics. Let's talk about basketball. When we talk about God's sovereignty and God being in control, why, did, why does God allow sickness? I want you to think about the fact that the referees in a basketball game, they are the ones that are the supreme authority. They are the ones with the supreme power in the entirety of the game, right? They're calling shots. They came in with the rule book. They know it front to back. But those same referees actually hand the ball over to LeBron James. They toss it to Dwayne Wade. They're the ones who hand, hand the ball over. And I got to tell you that anytime LeBron fouls somebody, nobody looks at the referee and goes, why did you allow that? Why did you cause that foul? No, no, no. No, they're, they're the supreme authority. But he has free will. He's the one with the ball. And friends, it's so similar in our lives. So many of us want to blame God for things, and he's going, no, 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 no. I, I gave you free will. I, I gave you the ball. I desire to change the world through you. That's, that's why I've called you to be my disciple. I want you to be the one to make a difference. Allow me to work in and through you. And yet so often we're looking at him going, why did you allow this? And friends, that's what, that's what sovereignty looks like. It's not God controlling things as a puppet master. No, no, no. It's God is the supreme authority in control of all of it. But you and I hold the ball. So I want you to know that when, 
when you see something happen in your life or in the world, just because something happens doesn't mean it was God's will. And it doesn't mean that he desired it. And I think that's incredibly important for us to understand when we're looking at the question of why does God allow sickness? God is our healer, friends, and he is sovereign. And he desires to use us to change the world to look more like heaven. Number two, question number two. These difficult questions that we're looking to scripture to find out what the Lord has to say about it. What has God told me, told us to do concerning sickness? What has God instructed us to do concerning sickness? And I have to tell you that when people tend to ask us this question, it's because they feel really helpless. Have you ever felt that? When you have a loved one that's sick? I gotta tell you, when Izzy had that skin thing going on and we couldn't get answers from doctors and we couldn't find treatment that helped relieve the pain and I was giving her Tylenol and ibuprofen and I just remember she was laying on our bed and I remember rubbing coconut oil on her sweet little legs and, and crying because I hurt because my kid hurt. And I remember feeling so helpless and having that moment where I said, Lord, if I could just take this sickness for her, God, I would do it. Like, like, give it to me. I want to take it on me so that she doesn't have to endure it. And friends, can I tell you, that's exactly what Jesus did for you and for me. And scripture is so clear about that. Look with me. At Isaiah 53, starting in verse 5, most of you know this passage. It says, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. Yeah, but Pastor Ashley, that's the Old Testament. Okay, let's look at the New Testament. First Peter chapter 2, verse 24 says, He himself, meaning Jesus, bore our sins in his body on the cross. He took them on himself so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness, meaning living, looking more like him, living, pointing people to God and his love. And then I love that this is the exact next words. By his wounds, you have been healed. But friend, we have such a good God that not only did he take that sickness upon himself, and take care of our healing himself. He went to the grave. We just celebrated it on Easter and he rose again, not only to defeat sickness, not only to offer us forgiveness, but to offer us power, his power and his authority for the assignment that he has for us. Look, Luke 9, it says, when Jesus had called the 12 together, he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons, say all, and cure diseases. Now, Matthew 10 actually says cure every disease. I love that. Write that one down. Verse 2, and then he sent his disciples out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Friends, if you are a follower of Jesus, if you are a disciple, this applies 
applies to you. This is part of your assignment, whether you like it or not. It's part of your mission. God has called you not only to proclaim the kingdom of God, to preach his good news of how much he loves people, but also to heal the sick. And this is something that so many of us just kind of put aside. Oh, that's not for me. It's for you. And I love how James puts it. Look with me. James 5, starting in verse 14, says, Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. I love that it doesn't say might. It says will. Will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Verse 16, therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. If you have your Bibles, circle that word healed because it's a different word than the word before. This word for healing is a holistic inner healing. And friends, I got to tell you, this is why we push small groups even in the middle of a quarantine pandemic. This is why we are begging people to get a part of a virtual small group. And if you are not a part of one, go to cfan.church right now. Fill out the form to be a part of one today. Why? Because your inner healing depends on it. You have to be engaged in community for the Lord to really do the entirety of the work that he desires for you. Let's keep going. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Verse 17. No, wait, wait, wait. So, so he talks about healing, 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 healing. And then all of a sudden, verse 17, the very next verse that is connected, he says, Elijah was a human being just as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again, he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced crops. Now, man, that seems random. If you don't know scripture, it seems like, okay, so he's giving us instructions on how to pray for the sick, to pray for healing, and then he says, by the way, Elijah was just like you are, okay? Totally human, just like you, and he had to do this. Now, Here's what I want to do with you. This last point, as we're about to close, the last question we're going to broach, we're going to look at this story of Elijah. We're going to look at exactly what James is referring to to find out the details to answer this last question. Number three, how do I pray for healing? Pastor Ashley, how do I even go about starting to pray for someone's healing. It feels so daunting. It feels so confusing. I, I, where do I even start? Friends, I need to let you know that what I'm about to share with you is not a formula. It's not an exact formula that the boom, 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 and hey, there's your healing. No, no, no. It doesn't work like that. And even when I was praying through this, I thought about cooking with Izzy and Fulton I, I love to I love to cook. Anybody that knows me knows that meal prep and cooking for the ones I love, that's a big deal to me. I'm not a very good baker, though. And I blame Pastor JF because he doesn't like sweets, so I don't get a lot of practice. But uh, 
I'm not the best baker, but my kids love to bake. You ask Fulton what he wants to be, and he'll say, a preacher and a baker. And I thought, all right, that, that works. Uh, <laughs> I like it. But I gather my kids in my kitchen. And when we're diving into the elements of baking, I got to tell you, my grandmother, my mom's mom, she was an incredible baker. And, and what I remember about what we called her Big Ma, right, that's very Southern, what I remember about Big Ma was her biscuits. And, and I remember her talking to us in her little kitchen. By the way, my mom's one of 14, so there were 48 first cousins, you know, slammed in a little kitchen. We took turns. But I remember her talking to us about baking in her kitchen, and she'd talk about all the different elements the, the pan, the cast iron pans that you're using and, and the type of pan and then the ingredients and how that always differs. Even the elevation of where you're cooking. A great baker will tell you that, that that matters. She even talked to us about the temperature of a baker's hands. And as they're kneading the dough, that totally changes the consistency of the biscuits. And it's just really cool that there's so many elements that go into a perfect cake or a perfect biscuit. And so without me understanding the fullness of all the elements that go into baking a cake, does that mean that I don't teach my children any elements of baking a cake? No, of course not. Of course not. So what do I do? I gather them in and I say, okay, so this is something that's standard kind of across the board. And these are great practices concerning baking a cake. And that that's what we're going to address here today. I have three that I want to give you out of Scripture and out of Elijah's story that James references. And I believe that if we continue to practice these three elements that are not a formula, we will not only see them in Scripture. If you go to dive into the New Testament this week and you look at every healing that takes place, one of these elements will be involved. Not all of them. In fact, not all of them is involved in any of them, but one is involved in almost all of them. It's super powerful. And so I want to look at those three elements, and I also want to look at this story with Elijah. Turn with me to 1 Kings chapter 17, starting in verse 1. You have to understand that Elijah is a prophet of God. He is called of God for specific missions, and he's been given promises and words from the Lord that he is to carry out. And so in verse 1, Scripture says that Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe in Gilead said to Ahab, now Ahab is an evil ruler that God has sent Elijah to warn. He says to Ahab, as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. Underline that word. Except at my word. How do we begin to learn to pray for healing, friends? Or really whatever miracle you need? The first one is speak his word promises. Speak his promises. Elijah received a word from the Lord, and not only was he confident in the word from the Lord that he received, he was 
He was trusting enough in that word that he spoke it out, that he was walking it out. And I need for you to understand, friends, this is not a name it, claim it gospel. This is not a name it, claim it theology. This is simply knowing and understanding the word of God, his promises to you and to me, and trusting in it enough to speak it out. And friends, we see Jesus do this all through the New Testament. We see him speaking healing over people. We see him speak healing to people that aren't even present with him and they're getting healed in another location. And I know you're saying, oh, but that's Jesus. What about us? Okay, well, we see his disciples do the exact same thing. Look with me, Acts 3, starting in verse 6. Peter and John are walking and they approach a lame man at the temple gate. And this this dude's asking for money. He's begging for money. And verse six, look at Peter's response. Peter said, silver and gold I do not have. Bro, I ain't got none of this. But what I do have, not money, but what I do have, I give you. And then what does he do? He says, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet, and he began to walk. Friends, I cannot articulate this enough. Your words have power. Scripture tells us that life and death, actually, they are in the power of your words, your tongue. You can use it for life or for death. And we've talked about it tons before. Ephesians goes on and on about how the church, part of the role of the church, part of why we don't see all the fullness of the riches that God has bestowed upon us is because we as the church aren't speaking it out enough. We're not speaking it to the principalities in the heavenly realms, those unseen things. Your words have power. So you're going to begin to speak his promises. The second element of how we pray for healing as the band comes back, because we're about to close. The first is to speak his promises. The second is to seek his presence. Seek his presence. I think it's so powerful to look and see throughout Scripture how just the presence of God, how healing flows in those moments. We watched Jesus walk into a room and touch individuals and just an experience with the God of the universe shifts that whole situation. Just his presence had nothing to do with that person's faith because they were dead, right? Just him touching them. And I love the power of understanding that visual. I love that Hebrews reminds us Hebrews 11 verse 6 says, without faith, it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists. And here's the part that I want you to, to really notice, that the Lord rewards those who earnestly seek him, who earnestly seek his face, who earnestly seek his presence, not what he can provide, not the, the end product, but, but who he is, his presence, his touch and experience with the God of the universe. And friends, we see Elijah do this in this story in first Kings. It's wild because God himself 
spoke that promise, that word to Elijah. And yet we see that God also requires Elijah to seek his face to make it come about. And man, that's gonna blow some of your theology into the water because we think, oh no, God told us it was gonna happen, so it's just gonna happen, I'm just gonna sit here. What if God is still requiring you to seek his face? to make it come to pass. We see this with Elijah. Look at 1 Kings 18, verse 41. We know that he's gone to Ahab. He's told him the word. And this is when he's actually praying for the rain to start again. Verse 41 says, Elijah said to Ahab, go eat and drink, for there is the sound of heavy rain. But wait, 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 the the rain hadn't started yet. There was there was no rain, there, were even, there weren't even clouds. Yeah, there's the sound, I, I have that kind of trust. Verse 42, so Ahab went off to eat and drink, but Elijah, no, no, he's not doing that. What's he doing? Elijah climbed to the top of Mount Carmel. He bent down to the ground and he put his face between his knees. Friends, why? Why did he go to Mount Carmel? Well, if you read the entirety of the story tonight, you'll see that Mount Carmel was exactly where the last place was that God had moved powerfully. He had shown his power on that mountain to defeat all the prophets of Baal. And so what we see is Elijah goes back to that mountain and he is seeking God's face. He knows he's gotten a promise and a word from the Lord, but he knows he has to earnestly seek him to see it come to pass. And friends, I think that there's so much power in understanding that. Because so often we forget that sometimes the process is the point. Well, wait, what do you mean, Pastor Ashley? The process is the point. Let's go back to the cake illustration. Now, friends, if if the cake was the point, if the biscuits were the point, I would just go buy a cake. I would, I would just go buy some awesome biscuits, okay? The cake and the biscuits were not the point. The point was, ha- was building relationship with my children. The point was my children learning more from me and through the process. My point was being with them. And so often we forget that in our walk with the Lord. We get a promise from God and we think, okay, Lord, you just make it happen. And he's going, no, 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 I want to work in you. I want to work through you. Don't forget that this process is part of the point. It's not just the end product. It is the process. And I wrote this down and maybe, maybe you want to write it in your notes right now. Sometimes we are so focused on what is happening to us that we forget that God is often more concerned about what is happening in us. I'm gonna say that again, because that's for somebody listening right now. Maybe that's for you. Friend, don't get so caught up in what is happening to you that you forget that God is often more concerned about what is happening in you what he's teaching you on this journey of this miracle that you are praying for. So how do we pray for healing? We speak his promises. We seek his presence. And lastly, we stay persistent. 
We stay persistent. I've taught this over and over and over. But so often in scripture, the, in the original language, when you see the word faith, without faith, it's impossible to please God. If you just have faith the size of a mustard seed, that original word is actually a Jewish idiom, and it's chutzpah. And what it really means is tenacity. It means persistence. It means a dogged unwillingness to let go. And I love how powerful that picture is because so often we think, oh, you know what? The Lord promised it. And so it'll just be done if he wills it. And I know it requires faith, tenacity, persistence. And we see this with Elijah. Look at 1 Kings as we close. 1 Kings 18 in verse 43. So Elijah's on the mountain. He's seeking God's face. And you know what's wild? We don't know the timing of this. This could have been weeks. We're not given that. But he's on the mountain. His face is between his legs and he's seeking God. Lord, please make it happen according to your will, according to your word. And then he, he says in verse 43, go and look toward the sea, he told his servant. Go and look, go and look. And he went up and looked. Well, wait, there's, there's nothing there. He said, bro, like, no, like for real, there is nothing there. Like I'm looking and I know you already told Ahab that you could hear the rain, but I ain't seeing nothing. Look what scripture says. He said, seven times, Elijah said, seven times. He said, go back, look again. One time, not just one time. No, Elijah, still nothing. Go back. Look again. I'm still seeking the Lord. I'm still persi persisting. I'm still persevering. I am still enduring. I'm still seeking his face. Go back and look again three times. Yeah, yeah there's, there's still nothing. Go back and look again four times. Bro, still nothing. Go back, look again five, seven times. Seven times he tells his servant to go back. And someone needs to hear this this morning because you have you've received a promise you've received a promise from the Lord and you've only looked once you've looked once and you've walked away and you feel defeated and the Lord is saying no 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 no! don't forget that the process is the point go back go back go back let me begin to work in you and through you because the journey has so much learning for you go back go back Last night I was talking to Pastor JF's mom, Dr. Robin Wilkerson, my mom in love. And we were talking about her son Graham and when he died and when God brought him back to life and the journey that that's been. And she said, Ashley, we are so grateful for the miracle that God did in Graham's life with bringing him back to life. But even in that gratitude, every single day we are praying for his full and total healing. You see, friends, Graham is incredibly functional, but he still faces challenges that most of us have no concept of. He still faces things that you and I just take for granted. And so here you have an amazing woman of God 
who has preached the word around the world, has prayed for countless thousands, has seen God do total miracles in their lives. And yet every day she's going back. Every day she's going back. Lord, I know you started this miracle, but God, I'm trusting you to finish it. I'm trusting you to finish it. And she remains faithful and grateful because even last night she said, you can't fathom how grateful we are for this process. Even in the pain, even in the hurt, even in the suffering. She said, I wouldn't be the woman that I am without this journey. She said, my boys would not be the ministers that they are, the men of God that they are. They wouldn't have the heart for the disenfranchised that they have if they didn't walk this journey with their little brother. And so friend, I wonder right now what God has you going back and earnestly seeking him for. We'll close with this passage. I want you to see what the Lord can do with our going back. First Kings 18, verse 44 says, the seventh time, he's gone back seven times. The seventh time the servant reported, whoa, whoa, whoa a cloud. Uh, it's as small as a man's hand, but it's rising from the sea. A cloud. So Elijah said, go. Go and tell Ahab, hitch up your carrot and go, chariot and go down before the rain stops you. Hitch up your chariot, Ahab. The rain is coming. And friends, what I love in that story, go read it tonight, is in that process of God building Elijah's faith through that process, he does something so supernatural in him. Go read it. It says that God's power is ignited in Elijah in a brand new way. He picks up his robe, he tucks it into his belt, and he is able to supernaturally run faster than all the chariots that are being dragged by horses. Friend, God has so much for you. He has so much for you in this earnestly seeking him. He has so much for you in this assignment and in this mission. And the result of the process I'm believing is greater than you can ever imagine. I want to invite Pastor JF up to pray for us. But I want to remind you, friends, God still heals today. He is our healer. Regardless of your circumstances, He is our healer. He is sovereign, but He's given you free will. And He wants to know what you're going to do with the ball. He desires to use you. He's created the universe to work in and through you. And He's called you to pray for the sick. That is part of your mission. It's part of your assignment. So get in His Word. Learn His promises. Begin to speak them out. Not as a name it, claim it, but as powerful words of God and standing in faith on them. Seek His presence in everything you do. Not the end result, not the product. Seek His presence and enjoy the process and stay persistent, friends. Don't give up. Thanks again for joining us. To hear more messages like this one, be sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel. For more content and to connect with us, go to cfan.church.